0: A lot of times the treatments for arthritis are kind of posed as a binary, like you could either do Western medicine or Eastern or alternative routes. But really, as our guest today will tell you about, your journey with inflammatory arthritis can actually include phases of alternative medicines and or traditional Western medicine, plus things like spirituality, mindfulness, and, and more. And what I love about my conversation with Vanessa today is that we actually had really different journeys in terms of our treatment approaches. Like I was 100% all about Western medicines, you know, after my initial diagnosis. But both Vanessa and I have really similar interests in exploring the emotional and mental aspects of living and coping with rheumatoid arthritis. So this episode goes really, really deep into that. And I cannot wait for you to hear Vanessa's journey and insights. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks, how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. So Vanessa, can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So I live in New York, New York. Mm -hmm. I live in Morningside Heights. Um, I was actually raised between Brooklyn, New York, where my whole family is from. But then I was raised mostly in Rockland County, and I grew up on an organic farm. And uh, that, interestingly enough, does play out in my RA story in terms of my mindset and how I've approached um, my healing because the community that I grew up in was pretty holistic. I grew up really believing that the mind and the body are inextricably linked.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I couldn't help when I found that I was having this, you know, this pain and this stiffness to think that there was some component of it that was perhaps diet, that was definitely there was a maybe an emotional component. So that really
0: shaped how I approached my my illness. Um, and, and speaking of you know your experience with having an illness, can you tell me a little bit about your diagnosis story?
1: Sure. So I was first diagnosed uh, about eight years ago, and I was twenty six. Uh, though if I really look at the time frame, I actually was beginning to have symptoms at twenty four. Mm. I was actually at FIT at the time, and I was having uh, pain in my hands. And I remember actually people even asking me, you know, is there something wrong? Like your fingers are swollen. And I really just had no explanation for it. I mean, I remember thinking, well, maybe I'm clenching my hands when I'm sleeping. And I was working really hard because I was, uh, I was at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And at the time, I was doing my second degree in ad design. And I was working a lot. I was interning. So it just made sense to me that maybe I was stressed and I was clenching my my hands. So that was what I thought was happening, though I didn't really realize that the fatigue levels that I had were really not normal. I mean, every day I would have to take a nap. I mean, I was exhausted. And it, it became, it was a gradual shift. And yet now that I look back in terms of how I feel now, and I almost can't believe I didn't didn't realize it, but... it it happened very gradually over a couple of years. Then I woke up one day and my entire body was in pain at 26 and it was really like that quick. It went from, you know, gradual, gradual inflammation but like low level enough that I could overlook it. And then, oh my God, what's wrong? And that day I actually was at my best friend's home in Connecticut and it was the summertime. And it was also really humid and I woke up and the place, uh, her home was really air conditioned. So I thought, oh, that's why, you know, it's, it's the cold, you know, it's, right. you know, and I, but walking down the stairs, my knees, I noticed my knees were actually really swollen and it was at breakfast that I remember saying to her, you know, Lauren, I don't know. I think there's something wrong, but I don't know. It's all well, my whole body hurts.
0: Wow. And this is resonating with me because it was similar to mine as well. And I think as a young person, there's often so many different explanations. Like, I'm tired all the time. Well, is -hmm. it that I'm working so hard? Is it that I'm out with friends late at night and maybe I'm just not getting enough sleep? And it's always like there's these different excuses until you wake up that day where there's no... I really felt like I
1: hit this kind of like, uh, you know, the analogy I'm thinking of is, you know, a car in the mud, and you keep trying mm. to move the car, and the wheels are not turning. Right. And I really felt like it was across every area of my life that I felt stuck. Mm-hmm. And so when this happened, it was interesting, because I thought, wow, this is actually a physical manifestation of me feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And so it made me kind of take note and dig deeper to think maybe there is a there is an emotional component to this, because it doesn't feel random that I have this stiffness in my body because I feel this stuckness in my life. To give a little more context of what was happening, you know, I had just accepted a job that I knew, I accepted a job because I actually got a huge raise and accepting it, but as soon as I was there for a week, I knew I was gonna have to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just really the wrong environment. The job wasn't what they promised. Um, there was a relationship that I had gotten into that fell apart that I was really hopeful about. Uh, I had this idea for a company that I wanted to start that I had been making all of these presentations about, and I couldn't get myself to take that next step from idea to execution. Yeah. I had this paralyzing fear of failure. So those are some of the things and signs that and symptoms that I had life-wise. And so when this happened, I really did feel that there was some significance to it happening, that it wasn't random, that there was maybe even a meaning that I didn't fully
0: understand. Um, Can you describe a little bit how how you actually got the diagnosis and maybe how you managed it initially? I started looking into
1: what kinds of dietary changes I could make because it was this one thing that was accessible to me without benefits right mm. and i looked at what i was eating at that time i was eating so many carbs which you know or we, we metabolize sugar and i i wasn't really eating enough protein and the other thing that i did was i did an elimination diet completely on my it. own which wow. ideally you have a little bit of, of guidance yeah. from nutritionists so it was really just all plant-based foods i removed things that are potential allergens. So soy, I removed dairy, I removed gluten. Yeah, two weeks of that. And my inflammation went away. Wow. And it was severe; it was full body inflammation. I mean, it was really bad, you know, and so that was kind of mind blowing to me that this simple diet, I mean, I couldn't sustain it forever. Because of the energy, I was still, you know, not as energetic, right. But Mm -hmm. the inflammation stopped.
0: Wow. Yeah, everything I had heard, and I've been following it over, you know, over a number of years is that there's not a clear, like one clear diet that can help, you know, manage the disease to an extreme level for everyone. But your particular story, obviously, is a testament to that for some people, yeah. it can have a dramatic effect. So, yeah. uh, And
1: then when I started adding the foods back in, mm-hmm. what I noticed for me was a trigger was dairy so it just, it's kind of a retraining of what to look for because we're not trained to look for these right. things. So I had to do some self-education and I do recommend becoming more aware of it because it can make a difference. So it, you know, it was kind of just this experimental period where I figured out this makes me tired. This is okay. This works. This doesn't work. And once I had a formula, which is pretty much a vegan diet with, again, I eat eggs, uh, but that is worked so well for me and within really three months or so I had my full energy back at a level I never even knew I could have that much energy I really maybe since I was like a little kid I had a lot more guts I don't know it was weird it 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 kind of unstuck something in me facing this being really disciplined about it and meeting it with a sense of I guess tenacity you know like this is happening this is really hard, but I'm gonna find my way through it. And it was just a mind. It was just a shift in my mind, not seeing myself as helpless. Mm-hmm. Because when I realized that there were these things that were making me feel better that I could control, it really was very empowering, and it, mm-hmm. it gave me a sense of oh, I can overcome this. Like this is not gonna be the end of my my life, or it's not gonna hold me back from being the woman I want.
0: And it sounded like that kind of persisted, that state of energy and feeling, yeah. you know, tenacious and you have great self-efficacy and you're living your best life. And it lasted <laughs> for four years, right?
1: Yeah, it lasted for almost four years. So yeah. and it was a long enough stretch that I was really no inflammation in that period. So it was this amazing stretch of energy, of good health. And I kind of took it for granted. I, I felt like you know, Oh, I've got this sorted. And then what happened was, uh, as my life got more and more stressful, because I was taking on more and more things, Mm -hmm. starting my own company, I was working full time in advertising, had, you know, leadership roles. So I had a lot of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And then there was a lot of family stuff that was happening at the same time. All of those things together, really just were this perfect storm for me getting ill again. And it was really hard for me to acknowledge that it was happening. I had denial about it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, immediately was on it though. I was getting the acupuncture, which I found helpful. I was going really again to being really diligent and stringent with the diet, anti-inflammatory diet. And it was getting worse, which, which was mind blowing because mm-hmm. I didn't understand why. I had a sense of feeling defeated mm-hmm. and and I didn't want to accept defeat. But I felt a feeling. Right. I remember thinking my spark is gone.
0: Yeah. And
1: you know, at the times when I've been happiest and healthiest in my life, I had really had this feeling in my in my chest of like a glow of light. Yeah. And when I have that, it feels like no matter what challenge I can face it, I have everything I want. And then at this point, it really felt like it was snuffed out. Like that spark mm-hmm. in me was gone. And so I felt very lost. I didn't know like is it did I like lose it forever? Where did it go? Yeah. How do I get back? The stress and then I think what the stress brings, which is a sense of, of like like loss of of who I really
0: feel like I am. I can so identify with so much of that. It's like for me it was when Enbrel stopped working, which was my first mm-hmm. my logic. But I totally was optimistic. I thought I was just gonna be on Enbril forever. I felt great. And I totally took it for granted. I had no idea that the biologics could wear off. <laughs> and then when it did, I did, I was like, Oh, I really grieved, you know, the diagnosis for me for the first time, but back to your story on, is this when you found your integrated rheumatologist?
1: There was an in, there was an in-between. Oh, okay. doctor. She was very by the book. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, you know, my experience with practitioners, I've seen three rheumatologists in total. Mm-hmm. The first one, uh, was when I was diagnosed. And he was really dismissive of my, of my alternative path. But I parted ways with him very quickly, because I was able to get my condition in remission with my natural approach. So I didn't need him for the last three. Right. Years. And then when I was having this, you know, the second wave of RA, uh, and you know, my alternative path wasn't working, you know, my doctor, she was very by the book. Uh, And, you know, she just the standard of care approach to RA, you know, she in a sense made me feel this sense of, oh, it's not as bad as I think if I just take these three medications, my life's going to be better. That's really how she made everything Mm -hmm. sound. Where I was really stuck was that my, my case didn't make sense to me. I became kind of like a detective because I was trying to understand why did it flare up again? Like I had it in remission, what happened? I started looking into it when you have, you know, when you have RA and you have, in my case, I had an infection that I didn't know I had and I had it for many months and it was, you know, like a low level infection, but Mm. that actually triggered my RA to flare up again because my immune system was trying to fight this infection in my body that I didn't know I had. Yeah. And that's why those natural things were not going to work because they weren't enough. They weren't an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. So that's what I needed. was a, So I, I really want people to know about this. Interestingly enough, when I was seeing two doctors at one point because I wanted to try them both out and my insurance told me that I could try both doctors out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because I almost felt like I was cheating on them because they were both really near each other and I had back-to-back appointments between oh. both doctors. And there was a moment where I realized that it wasn't going to work with, with, this, with this woman. Uh, I had a list of questions for her. And I re- I, as I got to, I think, number two on my list of maybe five questions, she puts her hand on me and she goes, I'm sorry, I don't have time. And I said, that's okay, neither do I. So uh-huh. I really had clarity because I was going back and forth between these two doctors But, you know, my current doctor, Dr. Mm Meir, to this day, you know, I've seen him now almost four years, has never told me he doesn't have time.
0: And he is a rheumatologist.
1: He's a rheumatologist, yeah. integrated rheumatologist. Mm -hmm. It's very rare. And his story is interesting. He found his way to doing integrated rheumatology because he had an autoimmune condition himself. Mm -hmm. And he said he tried the treatments he was so unhappy with how they, you know, worked with him and his body. And he started seeking other things. You know, it's interesting. The reason that I wasn't quite sure when I was going back and forth between these two doctors was because on one hand, this woman gave me this sense of actually certainty at a very uncertain time. She was very positive. Mm-hmm. She handed me this RX card and said, you know, you take these three medications and you're going to be better in a month. And she said it very with such a sense of, of clarity, and she was super sure of herself, like it was a formula.
0: And, well, and I think that, like, in the, in the defense of doctors who do that, like, there is a lot of evidence that some of these medicines are really effective for a lot of patients. But it doesn't sound like she was listening, like, to you're not just, like, the by-the-book patient.
1: Yeah, really felt like I was just any patient who walked in patient number three, I didn't feel like she was really able to, yes, meet me where I was, be empathetic to what I was struggling with. And then with Dr. Mir, what was really interesting is when I asked him a lot of questions, he was very honest that he didn't know the answer. And I had mixed feelings about that because one part of me liked the certainty that the other doctor offered because it felt like what I wanted to hear at a very uncertain time. But on the other hand, in a sense, I actually trusted Dr. mirror more because he was actually telling me the truth. Every patient's really different. And we wow. actually are really just trying these different medications one by one to see what works. Even though I didn't like the sound of that, I did believe that that was going to be more accurate to what it would be is is really an experiment with these meds the fact that he listened to me and that he was open and honest about not knowing ultimately made me choose him and in then yes in terms of him being a holistic doctor or integrated as how he describes himself that really drew me into because i knew the kind of path that i've taken i wanted to find a doctor that was going to work with me on that path not resist me
0: And I think think it's hard because I think some of them do see people who get completely off track and get kind of fed these like conspiracy theories and then do things and then like two years later they come back and their joints are like totally deformed and they're like oh my gosh this could have been prevented but again in your case you were responding to the data of your own life it's just it's a great example of finding the right fit for you and a doctor because like and some people don't want to even open the door like I felt Mm -hmm. like nutrition was like a rabbit hole that I was like too overwhelmed to go down. I just was like, give me embril, I'm fine. You know, like, you know, so that's like, there's, that was the right doctor for me, you know, the one that just gave me the meds. So again, the perfect fit between you as a patient and the provider is this kind of, is almost like a dance,
1: you know, that's a great way of describing it because it it became, it became that. And he really also was the only doctor, I think the only doctor I did listen to about taking medication when you maybe have, like I did have success with taking a natural approach, it's not easy to be convinced that you need to take three different immune suppressants. It's a really big (laughs) shift. And that's what he was telling me. He actually had the same approach in terms of medicine as the other doctor did, but his manner was really different and his mindset was really different. So because of the state I was in at that point, he, he had an analogy that helped me. He said, Vanessa, you're, we have to save your joints. He said, you're, the house is on fire. And that analogy of the house being on fire helped me realize that I had to take action and that he, as an integrative rheumatologist, rheumatologist, wouldn't tell me I needed this unless he really
0: believed that I did. And he said that the the medicine is going to put the fire out, yes. right? Yes. But then you're gonna after the fire's put out, you can we'll proceed.
1: work together.
0: Um, yeah,
1: on an approach that's long term. But right now we need to save your joints.
0: What a great example of like the same inform, same kind of basic recommendation being packaged so differently. Yes. Not just packaged as in like I'm giving you this like didactic information, but it's like based on a relationship that he was able to develop with you. Yeah, it's a relationship where I
1: where I trusted him yeah. and where I really felt like he was seeing the whole picture. It was a hard step to take the medication. That first, you know, I think I, I was first put on methotrexate and then prednisone,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then eventually Humira. Humira I did not do well on, uh, oh. and so I only really, I think, had one injection of that. Uh, it, the timing was also odd because I ended up getting even though I had the flu shot, I ended up getting the flu while I was on all of these different meds. And I got very, very ill. Yeah, it was, it was hard. That was my lowest point. And I got in a taxi because I was actually scared. I had so little energy. I, I thought, there's something not right here. I shouldn't feel like this. I couldn't even do basic tasks. I got in a taxi. I told him I need to see him the same day, Dr. Mir. I went in and I was just in tears. I was really, really struggling. And I asked him, I said, is this the best I can hope for my life? Oh. And, and I said, I feel like I'm doing everything you're telling me to do. And I'm still so sick mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do. And you know, in this, I really credit to him with his ability to be empathetic and compassionate. He said, Vanessa, he said, I wouldn't say this to everyone, but for you, my sense is you have emotional scars and that if you can really work on that, make that your focus right now, that I really feel that that's going to help you and that everything we're going to do is going to, it's going to work better. Hmm. And it really hit me when he said that I was obsessing over like eating perfectly. I was doing the juicing thing. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was kind of like OCD about it. <laughs> and so then when he said the emotional thing I kind of knew that was true but I didn't know what to do about it yeah And so, a doctor my doctor telling me that I took it much more seriously I started really thinking about I'm like, how do I address emotional scars I I had been doing therapy actually for a year had been I thought taking all the steps needed, I was doing c b t cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, and the reason being you know i I grew up with a pretty dysfunctional family. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the depths of it, but mm-hmm. suffice to say you know I grew up with a parent one who was was wonderful but working all the time, and mm-hmm. the other one who was really like a borderline type person, so okay. there's a lot of sense of i guess emotional abandonment and so I really struggled to be in connection with my emotions. Like even in relationships, I would hit a point where I would I would feel feel like the kind of all the hard emotions are like vulnerable or scared or, mm-hmm. and I was just shut down. I, like, I couldn't feel mm-hmm. those feelings. And so when he talked about emotional scars, it, it was interesting because it gave it a sense of like, this is a real thing. Like this isn't just my imagination. Right. Like I actually have, Emotional scars. The other thing that I wanted to mention here, just to make this not just about me, is that <laughs> there is this study that's uh, that's really widely known and regarded, um, the ACEs study. Adverse childhood experiences. They know that when you know at a young age we experience these different kinds of adverse childhood experiences there's a direct relationship with developing chronic illnesses just because the level of stress is so high and we know that stress triggers illness the development of illnesses and so when I heard this information from him I I started to dig into what are like some ways I can deal with this where I'm actually dealing getting to the root of the issue because I realized that CBT was great but not probably ideal for trauma
0: I so strongly feel that and my my current um, therapist he actually described um, that he says that you know there's been like these three waves in psychology and psychiatry there's like the first wave was like psychotherapy with Freud. And the second wave was CBT. Third wave is mindfulness. and Like that's the current wave people are realizing. And it's not that CBT isn't helpful, but like sitting there and like debating whether your thoughts are like a distortion or not doesn't really affect the baseline psychological process that's going on. And so anyway, I'm such a big fan of mindfulness and acceptance-based Yes, because like, they've worked so much better for me than um, with CBT. I just felt like I was just feeding the fire of like arguing with my thoughts. Some of the experience, adverse experiences I had during the childhood of my experience with physical health challenges. It's almost like those experiences when I for the first two years went before my diagnosis of RA. I got dismissed constantly by providers. Yeah. I was accused of lying. I was accused of having an eating disorder. I was and like that almost feels like for me an adverse childhood experience Mm. in my journey of a health health issue, because then my subsequent health experiences have been interpreted under this lens of defensiveness that I built up Mm. because I was like, no, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And you're all telling me that I'm that it's not and I'm just it's all in my head. And anyway, so and it sounded like you discovered like meditation. Yeah, Yeah. yes. Yeah. So there's there's really a few key
1: things that Gave me this ray of hope and guided my second wave recovery, which, by the way, was way harder than the first wave of recovery.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but, but coming through the other side, I feel like all the tools that I learned are just so applicable for the rest of my life. So the, the first tool that I used really right away after he told me that was emotional freedom technique, sometimes called tapping. I had learned it prior because I was having a lot of anxiety and also anxious dreams, but I never had used it to deal with kind of things from the past. I was more just using it reactively when I was stressed, Mm -hmm. which it really did work for. So what I did was I, I started journaling about these emotional scars and I knew what they were right away. There was really no uh, like question in my mind. You know, one of the first things, believe it or not, as simple as it sounds, was I had such an insecurity about how sensitive I am as a person. And I had been, I had been from a very young age told that I was too sensitive. My te- I cried all the time because I was so sensitive. My teacher said I was doing it for attention. So there were a lot of early kind of wounds for me about how sensitive I am. I've now learned there's a term for this called empath. I, I did a lot of journaling around this. There was seven things that I journaled about. Mm-hmm. Uh, things Basically things that I didn't like about myself. And not about what I look like, nothing to do with that. It was really things about me that I was really insecure about. Because people had told me, hey, these things are not okay in some way. Right. You know? And yeah. so I took this uh, approach where like w- one day I would work on one And what I would do is I would journal about the experience, the memories around it. And then I would get to a point where I would feel all of this pain in my body. And I would feel like these emotions, like kind of like yucky emotions all coming up. And it was was amazing because they were old emotions, but I had never processed them. And so what I was doing was I was, you know, tapping you tap on the meridians, this alongside tapping on these meridians, you say these affirmations. So the affirmations are very simple. It's even though I feel, and then I would fill in the blank with emotions. Often there were many emotions that were coming up at the same time. It was really interesting because I mean, I cried so deeply from these, Mm -hmm. from these old memories. But as I was doing the tapping, it really felt like I was able to get the emotions out and also get clear on what those feelings really were. By the time I had done maybe five rounds of tapping, it really didn't feel like that big of a deal anymore, you know? And I was also able to see those attributes that I had seen as, like, weaknesses as actually also good things, you know? Like, I'm really perceptive, right? I'm very, I'm very sensitive to other people. And that's, that's that's been an amazing attribute for me, you know, that I've used in work and I've used in life. And so I was able to, because I balanced and cleared out those old wounds and helped sort of heal them, self-healing, I had a new perspective on those things that I didn't like about. And uh, and yeah, I did it for almost like a month, which is probably a little crazy. (laughs) I was actually on medical disability at that time Mm -hmm. and on long-term disability for the better part of a year. So I... Figured, hey, what better time to work on these emotional scars? And it was amazing. After three so or so weeks, I started to feel this opening, this like clearing of a lot of that old stuff. And also I felt more connected to my emotions because right. I really was very disconnected from a lot of emotions because they were not safe for me to feel.
0: It's so common with childhood trauma. Yeah, You learn that especially if you've been told you're too emotional, you're too sensitive, you just learn to deflect them and deny them and Mm -hmm. emotions are the enemy.
1: I also started really taking inventory of my energy. You know, when I had such a small amount of energy and so I started paying attention to what drains me, what fuels me, I became almost like an energy auditor. And it was uh, really the beginning of what led me to this idea of my, my book, Empowered, you know, really looking yeah. at um, at our energy as such a precious resource that we have and something that we can manage uh, with our thoughts, with, you know, the, the things that we do, um, all these different spiritual practices can help us protect our energy and refuel ourselves. So yeah, it was, it was a really interesting way to discover that um, through RA, but it did give me this clarity, I guess, about, you know, how precious our energy
0: is. And when you have so little of it, how important it is to manage it. It sounds like you also took a Stanford class of daily compassion meditation. That happened
1: around the same time as the EFT, which was important. I think that I... I would have struggled to really have self-compassion in doing this had I not had the context of taking this 8-week class at Stanford. That really I think helped me help me be kind to myself when I was experiencing a lot of really hard old feelings, right? Like because yeah. it's very easy when you're in when you're feeling those hard feelings to be self-critical and not even realize it, right? Like I shouldn't be feeling yeah. this or this feeling is, you know, this feeling is, is silly or like kind of like trivializing my my own feelings. And that gets in the way of me processing them, right? So the, the Stanford class, what I, what I really was drawn to about this class versus any of the other ones out there was the science component behind it. Mm-hmm. That they were backing up all of the work, all of the meditation practices with research on how when you practice all of these different, you know, meditations over the eight weeks, they gave a promise. They said it will rewire your stress response. And having a disease that's triggered by stress, I can rewire my stress response. And, you know, hopefully that will help keep me in a state of health longer term. So I was all in and I took that class so seriously, did all the homework. This class was a life changer. So Mm -hmm. I really for almost a year and a half was having interrelated health issues, um, mm-hmm. energy challenges with my energy levels. I was, mm-hmm. I was getting really tired at like 3 p.m. There are all of these different factors that I, I was really just doing my best to move on with my life, but I really didn't have the same energy level that I had had. So I really had to make a lot of lifestyle adjustments to get mm-hmm. to where I am now. Uh, So I want to say that first because otherwise I'm not really giving a full picture of how I got to where I am now. So I moved to doing freelance work, which gives me a lot more time to balance my life and my energy and do all of these different kinds of practices every day. I've really just become very much an advocate for self-care and wellness and You know, I literally do daily meditation. I continue to do the compassion meditation every day. Mm -hmm. I also do chanting every day, which Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. Mantra-based chanting, which again, also, if you're not into meditation, it's a great way to get similar benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's easier for a lot of people. It's really relaxing. Um, The other benefit of these, both of these practices is that they both stimulate this nerve called the vagus nerve it's called the wandering nerve, and it really connects uh, throughout the body. There are so many studies from all over the world talking about how that when this nerve is stimulated, it naturally decreases inflammation. And we know stress causes inflammation. When I learned that I could, by meditating and by chanting, actually on a daily basis, deal with you know minimizing my stress levels, mm. it became Really exciting because I realized I actually can live a good life with this illness because these tools will help me manage yeah. my stress. Something called VNS, it's an FDA-approved vagus nerve stimulator. It's a chip that they yeah. are that they are actually you know giving people um, to manage, for example, epilepsy. And they've also used it in some cases for Crohn's disease with a lot of success. Now it's not FDA-approved for Crohn's disease. Basically, mm-hmm. if you're not Uh, able to respond to the other sort of considered normal lines of treatment for Crohn's disease. They have tried it and they've seen it work. So this whole thing about the vagus nerve is a serious and important topic that I want people to know about. And particularly if you have emotional issues and if you have had trauma in the past, you're going to have have chronic levels of stress for, for a long time. So having a way to manage that stress ongoing Whether it's meditation, whether it's, you know, using mantra-based chanting, these things work.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just a lot of it has to do with the delivery. I feel so much compassion for people who initially resist that idea because I know where they're coming from. Because they're like, don't tell me I'm just stressed because I had these other doctors tell me I'm just stressed. and I didn't Mm -hmm. really have an organic disease happening. And I actually did yeah, it. Yes, so Yes, it's Very, You know, it's like a very tangled thing, but it's like similar to the example you gave with your with your current Dr. Muir. It's really like about, it's about the delivery and the connection with a person in the yeah. trust you build when you deliver that kind of inf- education and information. So you're not just seeming dismissive, like, oh, just go manage your stress. Deal oh,
1: with it. No, completely. And that's a really good point. I think it can come off as minimizing right? Like you're minimizing the severity of it. And our our lives are so stressful these days. Yeah. So it's, it's like that, that actually, I think the self compassion class helped me to have more of a sense of compassion to myself, you know, for, wow, what I'm going through is actually really hard. You know, I need to, I need to take care of myself. I need to do these different things that will help me feel just a little bit better. I'm really happy to say that for the last almost two years, I have had my condition in in really almost complete remission. It took time, but you know I got there and I am on Simsia a few times a year, I take it. I I really still have a little inflammation in my right hand and a couple of the joints in my two fingers, Mm -hmm. and I have to manage that. But really by and large, I I have great energy levels. I, I don't get tired in the day anymore. I actually don't get sick that often anymore. I just feel like my overall system is stronger. You know, it's exciting to say that go- from going on medical disability to now be living a life where I am setting my own schedule. You know, I work as I can, but I also am taking time. I'm prioritizing doing things like this that I really believe in. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to that, like really making room for the things that give you joy. I learned that from the compassion class that finding, they called it just moments of joy, even if they're small, positive things. And I, and I really have made that part of my life now, like creating moments of joy in my life intentionally. It, it has made a difference in terms of how I view my life and really what happened with my health. Like I, I don't see it as a bad thing. Anymore. I actually see it as a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think it gave me it ultimately gave me these tools that I feel like helped me heal. You know, I was Yeah, oh my god, I want to have these issues in my life based on my childhood. And, you know, then by, you know, searching for these different healing tools, and not only got, you know, my health under control, but really my life in a better place. It ended up working out really nicely, even though I would have never guessed RA would be a good thing.
0: Yeah, that is so powerful. I just, I'm really inspired, honestly, by that, because we all, all of us who have a chronic illness, whether it's, you know, diabetes or heart and lung disease, or autoimmune disease, there's so many things that you could look at and say, you know, wow, this disease robbed me. You know, I was robbed of the life that I thought I was going to have. But and there's a time to process that.
1: I think that's a really good point. Because I have not always felt this way. I remember actually, a moment so joined a a Buddhist community really in the very beginning of when I was diagnosed, Mm -hmm. which ended up being so helpful for me, because many people in the community have overcome all kinds of health issues. And so there's this sort of resilient spirit that's just baked into the community and that really helped fuel my sense of of I guess gutsiness in terms of facing this you know um and so the the thing that that I think is really important you know I was at this very low moment actually at one of the meetings and I was just holding back the tears because my, my whole body was in pain and I and I struggled just to get to the meeting because my whole body was in pain. There was a woman sitting next to me at the meeting and she could see that I was holding back in tears. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, "What's going on?" Said, "You know, my whole body is in pain, I'm so afraid." And she said, "You know, it's possible to overcome this. You know, people in this community have overcome all kinds of things and, you know, you should work with an acupuncturist." She was just very very optimistic but with a sense of certainty. Wow. And then, one of my friends, I think around that exact time, told me a quote, and I actually wanted to even read that quote because yeah. it was so helpful for me in reframing my mindset. So it's happiness is the robust sense of fulfillment one feels when bravely confronting hardship. It is that mm-hmm. elevation of the spirit, like an airplane getting life from the air, sorry, gaining lift from the air okay. resistance against its wings.
0: Wow.
1: And yeah, then I I started to have a shift in my mind of what if my RA is actually trying to lift me? Like, what if it's actually just the thing I need to get myself to the next level, get myself unstuck, get myself facing my life bravely? You know, it was quite amazing how that mindset shift, even though I still felt pain, I saw it differently. I didn't see it as it was against me. I saw it as I'm going to use it for my good. That really was a critical moment in my journey and how I approached it. Now, still, there were so many moments along that path where I was angry as hell, and mm-hmm. I and I, I think you have to let yourself feel every feel feeling. it. Exactly. It's so important. In fact, that's the heart of EFT. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, the things I'm saying now are really optimistic because I've come I've come so far, mm-hmm. but when you are where you are, meet yourself wherever you are with a sense of, if you can, kindness, mm-hmm. like because shoulds, I shouldn't feel this, or this isn't okay, or I should, oh, they, they <laughs> cause more pain. Right. Yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest things is wherever you are in the path. And especially in the beginning stages as much as possible to be kind to where you are. And I know that's not easy, because this condition is often I feel trivialized. You know, I feel like a lot of people, because of the name of it, do yeah. not do not recognize how debilitating it is and how painful it is and how hard the treatment is because it's there's no one treatment. Everyone is so different. Everyone mm-hmm. responds, like you said, so differently to different meds. The whole thing about self-compassion is so important for this illness because what we're going through is really hard. Mm -hmm. And there are so many implications in our life that, you know, it affects really everything, right? Our relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, if we decide to have kids is going to affect getting in the way of that. I mean, there's so many real problems. I think that it's just so important for people to speak up for where you are. Like, Mm -hmm. I really struggled to tell people, coworkers, I struggled to tell people limitations because I think, you know, because I didn't look sick, It was very hard for people to understand that I was
0: struggling, how much I was struggling. Well, and I think also because it sounds like from some of your background of not people not meeting your emotions with compassion, then Mm -hmm. you're disincentivized to share any negative experience because you're afraid that they're going to treat you poorly based on that. I mean, it's just a vicious. Completely. And in the workplace, it was also really hard because I didn't want people
1: to see me as like weak or totally you know that there was there was that i had this very serious issue that was going to get in the way of my performance i mean there is a really a lot of fear and shame around having this in a job that's that's so high pressure and so it was really hard to reach out and really hard to get the support i needed from my from my workplace because they didn't they didn't have any way of understanding what i was going through And I struggled to express what I was going through in any kind of way that they could understand. And one thing that I think is useful, it's a simple thing that I I think has helped, I think, get closer to people understanding what it is. I don't describe it first as I have RA. I, I describe it as I have a severe autoimmune condition.
0: Oh my gosh, so unsync. That is what I've started saying too. I
1: condition. Yes, because people don't know RA is an autoimmune condition and they also often don't know it's severe. And then right. I go on to give them kind of a public service announcement about what RA is. And right. I say, you know, RA is your body's at war with itself and your body is, is attacking all of the tissue in your body, including your joints. Right, and right. so then when people hear that, there's usually a shift where they they yeah. they take a step back and they and they recognize that this is going to be a serious a serious challenge i think helpful to become really an advocate for yourself you know mm-hmm. you can really do with this illness have to be to self advocate so that people whether it's your loved ones or your coworkers can better understand what you're going through and therefore hopefully can better support you because when people yes think you look normal and you should be able to come and meet them out for drinks at any time because you're only 20-something. But you know what it's going to do to you the next day, yeah. right? And you know you know
0: that you can't really do it. And that's not easy. Um, and it sounded like you were, so you've learned how to say no, and that's right. like positively affected your work life and your relationships and also not being so much of a people pleaser, which that really resonated mm-hmm. with me because it, it's interrelated, right? So you want everyone to like you. You want everyone to be pleased by you constantly. So And you know that saying no might temporarily make someone uncomfortable or not happy. Mm-hmm. And so then you push yourself and then you pay the price. Yeah. Sometimes I had to have a little bit of a don't flatter yourself moment. Like I'd be so afraid that if I said no, then someone would be upset or like not have as much fun at the party without me. And then they're like, it's fine, we're fine.
1: You know? Yeah. yeah. It's just such a shift in in behavior that I had to make and it felt really unnatural. That mm-hmm. was really even though to your point, like life will certainly go on without me going to XYZ event. But saying no felt so counterintuitive, so hard. And yet I really attribute a lot of my, you know, success with, you know, really getting my health in a good place the last couple of years as me learning these really important life skills. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have infinite energy, whether you have a health issue or not. Learning to say no and to take care of yourself is so, so important in terms of staying healthy and you know, acknowledging yeah. limitations was actually the first Right, part. right. Acknowledging right. That, I, that I can't do what I did before. You know, that mm-hmm. was sort of my own, okay, this is this is true because I tried doing these things and then the next day I paid the price, like you said. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then being able to articulate it to people and to be able to articulate it with a sense of assertion that yeah. I actually have to do this. This isn't, oh, sorry, you know, I, I don't think I can. It's, oh, no, I definitely can't. <laughs> right. In work situations, that can be hard, you know, because I really have always seen myself as such a high performer, someone who can do everything. Mm-hmm. I was sort of an energ- energizer bunny for a long time, and so I mm-hmm. self-identified as being someone who could do everything. And so, I seeing, are so
0: similar, yeah. No. Oh. What?
1: Like, I don't have limitations. What are you? What are you
0: talking yeah, about? Like, and I almost thought I would be the exception to every rule. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, yeah, I got this autoimmune disease, but I'm not gonna let it take me down. La la. And like, I named my blog, which I started initial blog was called the enthusiastic life I named that in 2010 because I was like that's something that's so core to my personality I know it's never going to change I'm always going to be enthusiastic and it's been interesting because my disease has gotten a lot more up and down in the last nine years since I named that blog and there was a couple of times when I was like I wish I could change the name because I don't feel enthusiastic right now like I that's not who I am anymore um I mean it's hard to summarize but you know, I've been able to get back to that place where it really is a core part of my inborn temperament is just to get, you know, I say yes to things, get excited about things, yeah. be enthusiastic. Even if I do have to then be have boundaries and be able to I mean, literally you cannot say that yes to everything, even if you yeah. were kind of able bodied and like didn't have to sleep. So many RA patients I meet, I don't know whether it's like us the people that I happen to encounter, but it seems like a lot of the people with RA do have this a little bit of like perfectionistic or like, you know, high performing personality. So again, maybe that's related to the stress and that that causes, or it's just the population that I've run into.
1: Yeah, I I don't have a Obviously, I don't have enough data either, but yeah. I have to say, I, I agree with you that I've seen some of these personality traits across many people I've met with this commission. So yeah. it does give me pause and make me wonder, is there is this random? Right. A lot of the changes that I ended up making were lifestyle changes. And I even include this as a lifestyle change, you know, the ability to set boundaries. It's, it's really a oh, lifestyle it's change, huge. Right? It's And
0: It's a huge lifestyle and, change.
1: I think it's it's an important topic just to talk about because it actually mm-hmm. the mental and the emotional parts of really dealing with this are just as important as whatever treatment plan you're on if you really want to maintain your health and your well-being. So right, right. I really feel like even though it's not discussed, you know, a lot of times we really talk about the treatment plan, mm-hmm. but actually having a path that is is encompassing, you know, dealing with your emotions, dealing with your mindset,
0: really, I call it more of like a healing path that is is critical for maintaining your health. The example I was reflecting on is like when I got diagnosed with gestational diabetes during my pregnancy, there's definitely a higher level of care in pregnancy, I think, because there's just so there's two people, right? There's one body, and there's two people in there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was immediately referred to a diabetes counselor, and they covered all of that stuff. But I was like, wait a minute, why wasn't I, oh, they didn't cover the emotions, but like, hey, why wasn't, like, shouldn't everyone who gets a rheumatology diagnosis have, like, a lifestyle counselor or someone that they, you know, occupational therapist or someone to kind of coordinate, like, here's the breadth of, like, things that are going to help you, you know?
1: It's funny you should mention that because I I did work for almost a year with an autoimmune health coach. My mom found her because she used to work with her. In some other capacity, she was on the board of, of, of a school that my mom worked in. Mm-hmm. And we did the calls through Video Skype. And she was she was really helpful. And she was trained through a program called True North that does really, I think, an incredibly comprehensive health coach training. All of the things that she helped me with mind, body, emotions, physical, you know, getting exercise, it it was really every aspect of it, and they had a really clear uh, structure. I found it invaluable because it can be so overwhelming having this health issue mm-hmm. and having somebody to set sort of small goals with me on a weekly basis made it feel attainable. I mean, it made me feel like I could see the wins over time. You know, I could see, oh wow, my energy levels are getting better. It kept me in a constructive mindset at some really, really rough times. So mm-hmm. when you have a coach, what they're really doing is help you become more conscious of the patterns you have that aren't working. I really like the idea of pain as a messenger because then it makes me dig a little deeper to ask myself, now this is really a mindfulness practice, you know, what? what is this messenger trying to tell me?
0: Is this right. messenger
1: trying to tell me that there's something that I'm doing that's not working for me? Is this mm-hmm. messenger trying to tell me to say no? What, what is the messenger telling me? There's one emotion that I've had to struggle with the most in this condition. It's anger and resentment. You know, why is this happening? I really had to, with all the different modalities, learn how to deal with these emotions in a way that they don't continue to hurt me. I had never been a depressive person and yet, I had moments where I went into my you know, general um, doctor's office, and I told him, you know, I'm really struggling. And he almost immediately wanted to write me without even questions So here you go, here's an antidepressant. And I really resisted that because I felt like what I was feeling was normal for what I was going through.
0: I have totally <laughs> the same experience with anxiety. I'm like, so how is what I'm experiencing out of proportion to the threat? Because I'm like, the threat is like, my yeah. body's attacking itself. like. Yeah. What am I supposed to be feeling in Right,
1: to exactly. Like Yay. my whole body is in pain. Yeah. How would you yeah. feel? <laughs> yeah. I also want to be clear that I'm not saying that antidepressants are bad. No. Or if you feel you need them, take them. Yeah. I, I, I'm by no means judging. It was more his, his response. But mm-hmm. I didn't sense that there was even any hesitation about really trying to understand what was I really going through was that really the right course of action? Did I really need this? Like no more questioning was even uh, done before this was the immediate uh, response. So I think having emotions, so long as you have the tools to work with them so that they don't get stuck, that's really what EFT is. It keeps the emotions moving. It keeps you able to feel those feelings because you're not you're not getting completely stuck in them. You're able to actually feel them and then let them move.
0: Have you heard of ACT therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy? No. Specific approach where you, um, like the, mm-hmm. the technique's called diffusion. So it's like we feel so attached to our thoughts when we're having them, right? Mm-hmm. So you defuse by being like, for example, for me, I have, I've had claustrophobia. And so I'd be like, my thought that I'm having is I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I can't mm-hmm. get out. And so you first start by being like, I'm having the thought that I'm trapped. So that starts removing right. you. From you identify that it's a thought. And then you can also further diffuse by doing these specific exercises where you like say it in like a funny voice or like you sing mm-hmm. it. But what I've learned is like anxiety isn't the problem. Like it's just a mm-hmm. thought, it's a thing in my mm-hmm. mind. It's like, I think for so long I was like anxiety, it's like I'm carrying this thing. I'm carrying this box and the box is called anxiety and I'm trying, I have all these different things I'm trying to use to like make it go away. I have like a hammer and I have like, I'm lighting a match, so I'm trying to put it on fire. I'm like trying to like throw it over into the ocean. Like it keeps coming back. And then finally I just be like, you're just a box. Like you're just a box that I'm holding. And like, that just has helped me so much, just accepting kind of it's a Zen based thing where you're like, life is suffering, like that's part of life. And don't try to like force everything to go away that you don't yeah. enjoy feeling. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that, that is something that I feel like took me the longest to really understand yeah. that acceptance yeah. doesn't mean resignation. Similar to you, uh, I, I stumbled on a mindfulness practice from... Tara Brock, who's a meditation teacher Mm -hmm. at the Insight Meditation Center. She has a podcast that is wonderful and her brain meditation, it's an acronym that really walks you through that exact process of whatever emotional state you're feeling that's causing you a sense of anxiety, you recognize and you, Mm -hmm. and you actually even name if you can like what you're feeling So you're sort of, you know, labeling it and sort of therefore separating yourself from the experience that you're experiencing. And then the second is allow, which is the most counterintuitive of all of them. Because again, when we have something that's quote negative, like you said, we want to jackhammer it out. We want to do whatever we can to remove it. And yet that very mentality makes it worse.
0: Long to accept that.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: no, no, no. I just haven't found the right tool yet. I haven't found the right,
1: right, tool right. No way. Yeah. And no. by allowing it, and even just 30 seconds, even if you just count to 30, just mm-hmm. this is here. I don't want to make it. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know, letting it be there. And it's amazing. It really works every time that them all emotions really move through our system within like ninety seconds. And so when yeah. they're allowed to move, they do. And and so the practice allows that the feelings to move and then also lets you use them as a messenger. So okay, allow now I as investigate, like what is what is this message from. Oh, like, I've my I've body.
0: heard this before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And and then, you know, is there what does this remind me of? Does this remind me of something I've experienced in the past, these sensations, this right. th- this story? If there's like a story, like you said, I'm repeating. You know, what does this remind me of? And, and for me, there's almost always an early memory of something that was really hard that it reminds me of. And then as soon as I connect the dots, I'm able to be kind to myself because I realize, okay, even though the trigger was probably super stupid, there's some deeper part of me that's trying to resolve this. Right. And the pain really is a little notification from the deeper part of me that's saying, I need your help. And so... The investigate then leads naturally to the nurture, which is give myself what I really need. You know, maybe I really need to to be more patient with myself in the situation. Maybe uh, you know, there's any number of things. I actually will make a list of this sometimes in a little journal with I feel, I want, I need, which is a simple way of doing it. You know, yeah. like if you're having really Hard, anxious thoughts. You know, write them down because even just naming emotions actually decreases stress by like fifty percent. Just naming them. Uh, Tikhna Khan, uh, Tibetan Buddhist, explained yes. it to me in a way that that helps me get it, which mm-hmm. is if your baby was crying, you wouldn't just tell it to shut up, right? You would say you would you would tend to it, right? You would you would be nurturing to it to try to kind of comfort it, and yet. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we do to ourselves when we're in pain. When we're crying, which is we're anxious, we're basically saying, shut up, shut up. And it just gets worse because really the desire is for tenderness and acceptance and understanding. I mean, that's all that we really want in our relationships, right? If we're suffering is for someone to mirror that back to us. And yet to do it for ourselves is a real practice. So yeah, that is such a wonderful reminder in terms of, of why it works. Uh, I really just want people to have access to all of these different things. Like you said, it's so helpful to know that there's things out there that are there to support you. So there's that. And then, you know, if you want to learn more about any of the things, you know, I do teach EFT. I have some online things that I do and um, group settings and then also one-on-one, but yeah, stay in touch. You know, I am really passionate about helping share resources. So I would love to stay connected with you. And if there's any way I can support you, just let me know.
0: Thank you so much.
1: It's a pleasure talking to you about this. It's something I've been wanting to share a long time. And I wasn't really ready, to be honest, to share it until now. You know, and
0: I, I, my RA journey, I was have always felt comfortable sharing for whatever reason, but my anxiety journey, I really have mm-hmm. only felt comfortable sharing. I felt like it was a weakness. Like I yes. should have I yes. should have yes. been able to make my anxiety, I should have conquered it. I'm like the one of the very few people who could say this because but because my childhood was so idyllic and my I felt like I didn't have an excuse. I didn't have any trauma. Mm-hmm. Why should I feel anxious? I'm I should be fine. And so I had to really get over that. <laughs> and um so yeah I I did not want to ever admit that i had felt anxiety that i had been claustrophobic and had to go to a lot Mm -hmm. of therapy for that like i know i can identify with the process of like okay i'm not ready to share this yet you know it was
1: hard for me to see that similar to you that people would see me as strong by sharing my weaknesses like there was just something about that that felt counterintuitive to me and i've had to do a lot to overcome this and this is really just the beginning of me Working on, you know, willing, being willing to to open up. So, you know, you're really the perfect person to open up to because you've been through this, and it's well, really much easier to talk to you about it because I can't be judged by someone who's been through the same thing, right? Like, no, I no, so, and it's just
0: it's just amazing how we all just kind of feel like everyone else has it figured out. Like, if I just like mm-hmm. listen to how you talk about things, you're so eloquent and like, if I didn't know what you've been through, if we were just talking. Just about, you know, like EFT. If we just talking about that, I had no idea what her story is. I'm like, this person, she just got everything figured out. And I'm why do I not have everything? It's like, why are we so hard on ourselves, you know? And why do we assume everyone else has it all figured out and we don't? Where it is we're all works in progress. I just want to thank Vanessa again for her honesty and openness in sharing her story with this audience. It's never easy digging up into painful memories from the past, and I am so honored she chose to share her story on this platform. So thank you again, Vanessa. And to all the listeners, don't forget to check out how to follow Vanessa in the show notes and also how to stay connected with me. Um, Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on myarthritislife.net. This podcast is brought to you by the Beginner's Guide to Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis, a four-week online education and support program that I created from scratch to help people with inflammatory arthritis learn everything they need to know to navigate the social, emotional, physical, and logistical challenges of rheumatoid arthritis and related diseases. The next group is going to start in August 2020. Learn more at MyArthritisLife.net or bit.ly slash arthritiscourse, all in lowercase. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.